Welcome to the week in IndyCar, our final season preview, talking to people before we have a new championship underway. And who do we have? Well, we got the guy who won the last championship, Scott Dixon. You're a busy man here, a couple days away from starting title defense, title acquisition, I, I have to believe, is part of the plan. So how things in uh, the old Dixon household here before we roll to Barber? Yeah, pretty good actually. It's been, uh, as you said, I think you know we, we had a bit of a slow off season, you know, limited testing, and uh, you know, lucky for some of us, we we're able to do some of the endurance races. But uh, as always, as as you get close to the first race, you know, the crunch really happens with uh, you know a lot of uh, development stuff going ahead and simulator, and you know, uh, obviously with um, still with the pandemic, you know, uh, a lot of Zoom uh, Zoom calls and things like that, and, and uh, a lot of great stuff with PNC and, and their community outreach programs, which has been a lot of fun too. So, yeah, it's busy, but it's uh, it's good to be busy, man. Once you're done here, you're going to be reading to school children. So uh, your day is only going to improve once we hang up. Got to that say, would be the toughest toughest part of my day is to, is to uh, <laughs> have them uh, look at me for at least 20, 20 seconds. <laughs> Got to say, you're doing good work even before the season kicks off here, mate. Well, let's say thank you as always to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com for taking great care of us here on the show. Why don't we just roll into things, dicks? Uh, our man Lance Snyder says, Scott, you've won six championships, never managed to go back-to-back. Asks, what makes that back-to-back championship thing such a difficult proposition? He also asks, is doing a back-to-back title one of your remaining goals, along with winning another Indy 500. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely the goal. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it's so difficult. Some people found it fairly easy. You know, Dario didn't seem to have an issue with that. Um, and a few others, you know, throughout. So, yeah, I think we, we've come close, you know, a, f- a few times. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely one of my rem- remaining goals, as is, you know, winning another Indy 500, which we, we came uh, awfully close last year too, but, but uh, no cigar. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's tough, you know. I think that's that's really just the reason for it, um, you know, is that it, it is always so tight and, and extremely tough to, to get, you know, any championship, let alone, uh, you know, the, the six that we're, we're super proud of and, and 13 as a team. Um, but I think, you know, we should have a good shot with, uh, with you know, the, the driver lineup and team lineup for this year and hopefully we work together. And the only unfortunate part is I think some of, you know, the, the teams that were on the cusp last year of, of being, you know, title contenders, um, you know, seem to be shaping up to be stronger teams, you know, for, for a season-long fight. So it would be interesting to see how that plays out. Chuck Beck has a great question to follow that, Dix. So last year, obviously, it opened wonderfully. You, every team, every driver wants their season to open how yours did. You're the guy who were fortunate, who was fortunate to have a lot of that success right away. Chuck's wondering, surely you hope to mirror that early success again, but is there anything you or the team happens to do from a strategy or an approach standpoint of, hey, during the first two, three, four race weekends, let's approach it this way compared to that way to maximize our points. Is it that intentional on how you go racing? Uh, the only intent we really have is is that every race we go to, we, we, we want to win. Um, and we're pretty disappointed if we don't. So, you know, I think we, we always had that common goal. Um, you know, gone are the days where, you know, you could kind of focus on, you know, a specific discipline. Um, you know, even to when I was first starting in, in IRL or IndyCar racing in, in 2003, it was all ovals, you know. But now you've got the, you know, the, the diversity of all the 
road and streets and short track overall super speedways and things like that. So it's it's um, consistency. I would say is is you know one of the the big ones. You know I think that you you really have to monitor throughout. It's turning those missteps that you've made. You know maybe a bad qualifying starting towards the back and turning that into a top five. You know that's where I feel like championships are won. And, and unfortunately, I think you know a lot of the other uh, teams and maybe driver combos have have you know, really, uh, you know, stress that as well. I think Joseph has, has done a good job of that the last few seasons um, on, on Team Penske and, and definitely Andretti have in, in their championship chases too with the, the past, you know, few years. McLaren, you know, if, if Pato and, and Felix get on a roll, they, they're going to be super tough too. So, <clears throat> yeah, we do, I feel like we don't really change anything. We two, we set two major goals, right? First, to win the Indianapolis 500 and, and secondly, to win the championship. Um, you know, and, and uh, we got one of those last year, but you know uh, that that uh, five hundred still eludes us. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, you know, I think that the biggest focus for us is is you know as our our you know most of our meetings in with Chip is is basically saying you know this race pays the same amount of points as the ones do at the end. You know, so mm. if you can bank them early, that's that's a much better start to the season. And last year was the first year that I've ever, you know, led from start to finish, you know, most of our MOs I'd say throughout the seasons or, or previous seasons have been kind of a slow start and then, you know, big summer and, and close strong. So you can win them many ways. Uh, all that matters is that you're leading at the end and, and hopefully we can be in that same situation. Next question comes from our friend, Louise Smith. Just want to give Louise yet another shout out, Dick. She has been fighting cancer and kicking its arse like you wouldn't believe. So, always love when I see a question in here from Louise, it tells me that she's uh, winning the war even harder. Uh, she has a great question for you. Louise says, Scott, with so many young guys getting started in IndyCar, can you talk about uh, how becoming a family man, getting married, having your daughters, now your son, how that's changed you as a driver? She also says she's so looking forward to seeing you and the Chip Ganassi team at the Grand Prix of Portland. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you too, Louise, and, and congrats on on the great fight with cancer, and you know, uh, wish you all the best with that. Um, yeah, it's a that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's for me, it's mostly helped. I think um, you know, yes, uh, you know, there's not enough time in the day, uh, which becomes probably the biggest problem. You know, when you're you know maybe you know right now dropping kid off to to daycare, or you know you've got him for most of the day. Um, you know, to fit training and. Um, you know, two or three, four days a week, I actually do t- training twice a day. So that becomes tough, uh, especially when, you know, maybe Emma and the girls are in the UK. We split a bit of time between different countries, which makes it interesting as well. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, it, it's actually helped me to not get obsessed with the racing cycle and obsessed with, you know, maybe the mistakes you've made. It's, it's a nice transition when you come home, a good day or a bad day. You know, it's really nice to you know, see your kids, chat to them, see what they've been up to, if they haven't been at the racetrack, you know, how their friends are doing, what they've got coming up for school. It's, it's a really nice way to kind of really break off into a totally different subject. And, and I found like, I felt like in my early years, you know, you just became super obsessed with, with racing and, and maybe sometimes got yourself a bit spun out. So, um, yeah, I guess the shorter answer is it's it's uh, there's not enough time in, in each day, uh, but it helps me structure and and break away from from the same racing chat or, or you know the the obsessiveness of, of what racing can cause. So I've actually really enjoyed you know um, having kids and a family and and you know how it changed the structure of my life and racing career. You and I spoke last week on a separate topic about early in your career and 
you said basically at that age before any of these things had happened with uh wife and children you know you certainly more prone to doing wild and crazy things taking greater risks in the car and whatnot there's nothing better than learning how unimportant you are which is what comes as a result of being a spouse or in your case spouse and father you realize oh yeah when i was young and single and only had to care about myself all right uh now actually yeah i realize that i do need to get up early and make the kids breakfast and do a lot of things that no one would think a six-time champion might do so uh you've certainly been among the most grounded in the sport for a long time why don't we go to uh your your biggest fan i think we can say this jeremy davis uh your twitter feed is filled every day by jeremy it says congratulations on championship number six go get him again his entire family will be rooting for you uh says is jimmy johnson and having him in-house in the ganassi group wonders is that more in-depth debriefs because of having him there what's the exchange like of jimmy having to learn this new indycar discipline and you also trying to advance efforts for your number nine honda program great question new guy coming in been pretty good at his former job trying to get good at his new job what's it been like having jimmy in those engineering debriefs yeah thanks jeremy it's um you know it's it's interesting it was kind of similar to well i'd say similar just in, as in that it it, it uh, made you look at different things but you know when felix joined the team coming from you know a lot of european and japanese racing and and you know a different form of kind of racing so they <clears throat> they've seen things through a different lens which makes it pretty interesting as far as you know tactics to you know uh, how you process things to you know team building exercises you know especially from a from a large team like you know hendrick and you know trying to help people get on better together and be more efficient um you know to the debriefs where yeah he's you know he needs a little more time maybe with dario to you know or myself or anybody that you know wants to help you know through specific things of of you know different corners to breaking styles um the, the problem i see right now is just that there is so much information coming it's really hard to you know for jimmy to or anybody to digest all of it at once you know so it's it's going to be uh we know it's a st- extremely steep learning curve um but you know one that uh, that he's taken on with uh you know great gusto which is great to see and and you know he's excited you know he's one of the the few guys i've seen at a, at a an all-day test and several of them that we've had that actually is smiling the whole time um i would not say i'm, I'm typical of that but you know he's <laughs> he's he's having a lot of fun you know so uh yeah it's definitely changed the dynamic but but it's it's um it's helped in many ways it's been challenging in others um but you know i think uh you know to to have Seven-time NASCAR champion is huge for IndyCar. It's, it's huge for, you know, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, you know, it's huge for Carvana and, you know, PNC and NTT and, you know, all of our SEGI. It's, it's huge for all of our partners. So, you know, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. He's been a great friend for many years. So it's actually been really nice to, you know, have a little more one-on-one time and, and uh, you know, catch up with his family and things like that. So, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been interesting. Let me add one more angle to this. Certain kid from Spain, Alex Pelot, said this many times i don't know if anybody at ganassi really knew what to expect uh, you're going to get from this kid who's always seemingly almost always smiling as well tell me about going into the season with someone new in that uh, number 10 honda and also how the two of you have developed uh i guess teammate relationship here over this off season what are you thinking about this uh guy who's new to the team as well 
Yeah, it's been really uh, it's been really easy with Alex. Actually, he's he's pretty laid back, super nice person. Um, you know, he's young. I don't know what he is, twenty three or twenty four. Um, you know, huge talent uh, from Spain, and and you know, I think he's he's done extremely well in, in junior categories, and even last year <clears throat> had some really standout races. And in, in what was a really tough situation for for any rookie with you know basically no testing or no practice. So, um, you know, he's been doing really well in preseason testing. Um, you know, he likes things slightly different it seems at the most uh but has also helped i think the team you know understand uh you know some development areas that we maybe hadn't looked at before so it's um yeah you know i think you you've kind of got the polar opposites maybe with him and and, and jimmy um but he's going to be super fast man and and uh he's going to have big results this year and, and and hopefully the same for, for marcus too you know i think marcus being with the team for a little bit now uh, preseason testing, you know, really knows what he wants, and and uh, you know, it's been nice to all three of us have similar similar reports, I guess, on you know development pieces and, and changes, you know, some of the tests, which is really good, you know, uh, right out of the gate. So, you know, uh, hoping that it just you know makes the whole team uh, a better package that we can move forward in in a, in a much quicker fashion with uh, development pieces and, and you know things we do at the racetrack. I love it, Aaron Richmond wants to know scott is there anything you're not good at and i'm i'm really interested to hear this answer so we could assume racing is not part of the answer what are things where you're just like man i I can never get this figured out or this thing always just puzzles me uh (laughs) i don't know that's a uh that's a i guess probably i'm not very good at avoiding chocolate uh that seems to (laughs) find me every time i don't know why (laughs) that or ice cream um yeah, like I, f- I feel like if there's something that that intrigues me and that I'm not good at, then I'll, I'll definitely put uh, I'll put my head down and, and try and you know figure it out. But um, yeah, I guess probably I don't know. I need to I need to figure out chess. I need to backgammon. There's a lot of uh, board games that my kids are good at that I'm I'm hopeless at. Um, you know, to to some sporting activities too. So yeah, I've, I've, there's a long list, man. I, 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 next time I need to be better prepared with uh, with the question. I can single something out for you. See, we've just found it out. You're not good at being prepared for questions you aren't prepared there for. There we go. See, that's right. You need to send me them next time, Marshall. Come on. See, I probably haven't asked you this question in, in ten years, Dix. We had a conversation back wherever about favorite TV shows, and I mm-hmm. I asked the question, "What are some of the favorite things that you watch?" and had a suspicion i don't remember what area or genre but i said i wonder if it's over here and you said no not at all you're like if i get a chance and again this is a while ago i'll sit down and watch like the first 48 or some true crime type stuff what are you watching 10 years after i asked that stupid question what are the things keeping you up Uh, you can't go to bed until you get that episode done yeah true true crime is 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 uh definitely right at the top um uh, the, I like, uh, trash, a bit of trash TV. The UK is pretty good for that. So, you know, uh, the only way is Essex, um, any Love real Island housewives UK. shows. <laughs> uh, these are better than, these are better than real housewives. People are going to find these things. How is know? that possible? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. Uh, reality stuff. Uh, I think mummy diaries is another one <laughs> in the UK, which is pretty funny. <laughs> um to you know the the um you know the 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 fighting ones you know what is it the last kingdom and things like that you know i go for the big ones as well yeah well we've been watching vikings my wife's been obsessed with call the midwife and i haven't seen that yeah she's watched that she's now watching it again having completed the full thing 
and uh, I've just been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine Nine lately. It's just the yeah, dumbest turn my brain off fun. So, all right, well, we're going to keep building below, up this Below list. Deck's a good one too. Below Deck, have you seen oh, that? Yeah, that, that just there. seems like because there's always a, like a Kiwi on there or an Australian, right. you know, so you can kind of keep tabs with you know what's going on. Jeez, that's <laughs> I, I would have never predicted you were watching Below Deck, Dix. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah. All right, uh, let's get into a couple more questions here. Then you genuinely have to go read some uh, stuff to kids. Joe Nowotny wonders, hey, if you were ever to attempt a Jimmy Johnson uh, after winning another IndyCar title, what series would you view as a similar level of challenge for you? What if you said, all right, I want to go try this thing that's totally different than IndyCar? What would it be, Dix? Uh, well, the Flippers Cup, right, is NASCAR. You know, that, 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 you know, I think he is taking on the toughest. You know, I was trying to think with Dario the other day, like, kind of what is the toughest transition? And, and that's almost it. You know, I think Rally, but Rally has similar stuff too because you do tarmac. Um, you know, has a lot of a lot of similarities. Uh, but I was even thinking, you know, like if you know, IndyCar to F one is a much smaller transition, I think, than NASCAR to IndyCar. So, you know, I think he's he's kind of topped it, man. So maybe if you, I don't, I don't know, like maybe Monster if I trucks. went from in in. Well, I think if I went from IndyCar to like tennis or golf, might be the closest thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because sports <laughs> that, cars, that isn't somewhere. it? You've got a new watch no. on your wrist, right? Or you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. come on. Uh, yeah. let's see. I think this, uh, might be from a pal down under Nick Reed says, Scott, do you own any of your title winning cars or cars that were significant in your career? And also asks, do your parents still own the pillow? That's a very good question on the pillow. Uh, Nick, I'll have to, I'll, I'll, uh, I should hopefully be talking to my mom later today or tomorrow. Uh, I'll ask her. I, I bet you she does have it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It might have, it might have been lost in, in that role, you know. Um, and then, um, what was the other question? Cars. Do you have so, any yeah title winning cars or significant cars? Not really. Chip, you know, I think Chip uh, first. You know, the, the 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 car that I drove is never mine. It's you know they're all Chip's cars. Um, He's a little. I don't know. I think Dario Dario's has worked out some deals on those. I think you know, I, I, I Chip would be totally open to the idea. I just don't know what I would do with one. Um, I'm pretty bad at not keeping stuff. You know, I really only have a few of my trophies, maybe the, you know, the championship ones and the Paul Warner and some sportsman of the year stuff from New Zealand. Um, but I don't really have any of the race trophies that I've won. Um, the team has most of those, I think. So yeah, I'm, I'm, or even suits or anything, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the polar opposite to Daria where he kept every pair of, undies that he had from each race um and unwashed he never washed anything so it's all still in you know race worn uh smell i guess um so yeah it's it's uh i don't really have much as far as as cars but i think chip would be totally up for for the idea and, and maybe one day i'd love to take uh you know maybe one of the significant indie cars back home to new zealand or something a walk through the scott dixon museum 30 seconds no, at mu- most. no museum it'll be yeah like <laughs> exactly yeah you can uh, you can see it in one picture i'm sure but Look, no it's uh, yeah it, it would be for racing you know something something back home. all right uh let's see two kiwi questions here and then a bit of haiku to close <clears throat> eric harkrader says uh scott in light of the other scott that referring to uh mclaughlin's uh, mm-hmm. obsession with bed bath and beyond i don't know if you've heard about that but uh, we need to help the lad he asks what blew your mind the most when you first came here to the u.s 
Um, pretty much everything. I think my first ever experience was going to Disneyland when I was eight, but coming to live here, I think it was just, you know, the sheer sight. You know, we're coming from such a small country. It's, you know, it's a very small island with four or five million people to just the sheer size of everything. Um, trying to think what, you know, the, the malls for sure. I wouldn't say I was very frequent at going to Bed Bath & Beyond. I might have gone there a couple of times maybe when I got my first apartment. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's – it's. Uh, I don't know. I love this country. I love the diversity of it. I think what's blowing my mind, and it's mostly been in recent years, is actually going to, to national parks. We've tried to, as a family, go to at least one uh, each year. Uh, and, and the national parks and the diversity of just terrain here is insane. You know, I come from one of the most beautiful places on earth, uh, but man, America has some stunning, stunning places. So yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen a whole lot of America yet and it still blows my mind every day. I love the people here, uh, and I love living here. So I'll be here for a while. That's for sure. Right. Turn lover asks Scott, after all this time living in America, is there still a very Kiwi thing that you do? And maybe something that still befuddles Americans. Uh, probably the slang, I guess. There's a, there's a few uh, few Kiwis on on the team, and then a few Kiwis, obviously. I think uh, throughout the paddock, it's it's actually big on Brits, Australians, and and uh, Kiwis. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably you know we have foreigners Thanksgivings where we you know we maybe cook more of traditional you know New Zealand uh, you know where you have the rice puddings and maybe lamb for lunch and things like that. So you know I think we we try to stick to those. We tried to I don't know if anybody's had uh, mince pies like a like a meat pie. Those are big in New Zealand. My dad used to come over here and make those, and they used to be a big hit of the team. Um, so I don't know. Those are the things I miss probably the most. Um, but yes, yeah, your, your, your typical, you know, sweets and bad food. I think that you miss the most from your home country. Of course. And then we have Frank Keedy, who we can now finally confirm is a chocolate peddler. Yes. Uh, he, he is, is a, a drug yeah. dealer of fine chocolates. Cabries. Cabries. Yeah. He, uh, unfortunately he's been giving it all to Jimmy Johnson lately. So yes. You're buying his to, friendship. Uh, start diving, diving that up a little easier. Let's uh, let's close the show, Dix, with our pal Jim Kaiser. <clears throat> Says Marshall Dixie deserves haiku to close the show. Humble when he wins and graceful when he doesn't. Dixon is the man. Look at that. You got haiku you, to start you. the season. Yeah, I wouldn't say graceful always, but I try. It's uh, and, and I think my wife helps me a lot with that. But um, no, man, I, I love doing what I do. I feel very lucky. I feel very privileged. And I'm just happy that the season's kicking off this week, man. Let's go. We can stop talking about what ifs. Uh, <laughs> thanks, as always, Dix, for taking some time. And uh, Barber, here we come. Thanks again to Dixie for joining us. I'm going to get into a couple of the leftover questions our listener Q&A show we had uh, more than 4,000 words worth of submissions no way we were going to get to all of them so tried to grab a couple that piqued my interest get to those here in just a sec also mention I totally forgot about it but this was actually the original listener Q&A format instead of the dedicated show that we have every Monday or Tuesday that goes up all powered by you actually started this off by having our guest and then rolling in whatever amount of questions I'd get back in the day wasn't a ton 
And this is actually how we used to do it. So for those who started listening after that format change, it's actually going back a little bit. So anyways, hope you like it. If you don't, this is the point where you hit the stop button. All right, where do we go for our first, call it overtime question? Jeff Trout. Marshall says, I continue to send positive thoughts for you and your wife. Thank you, Jeff. This question, if I won the lottery, what amount of money would it take to start an IndyCar team to put a driver in a car for a one-off Indy 500 run? And also asks, what would it cost for a full season of IndyCar? Let's see. I don't know if I'd suggest owning, but you certainly could. I can tell you if we're talking, what is it? take to do indy as a one-off as a driver trying to make it happen the budget ranges that i've heard this year well they're actually they continue to climb jeff that's the interesting thing usually when you get towards the end of a chassis formula engine formula something that's been around for a long time hey teams have owned this equipment for a long time not so many of them having to amortize things. We're well past that amortization period. Not so much the case, though, here. So where it wasn't uncommon to hear, bring us 500 grand. That's a pretty good number. Five or 600. I don't know exactly how many years ago, but I'd say mid-2010s, uh, 2016, maybe even 17, was still hearing that, it's going to be over a half million for a quality Indy 500 seat, but not too far over it. These days, Jeff, yes, the quality seats, oh, they are much closer to a million than they are half a million. Some of the numbers I've heard asked, I think there's one that I remember hearing 1.1 million was the asking price. Don't know if the team really wanted the, the person who was inquiring might have been a number designed to put them off. But yeah, 800, 900, not a, not a strange number to hear. 750 seems to be about the minimum, again, for a quality seat. So I'd say if you won the lottery, unless you really wanted to own everything, that would be the, well, granted, we don't know what the lottery amount would be, right? If you want $2 million, would I suggest spending $1.5 in buying a car and equipment and whatever else, leasing a shop, hiring people for a month or two? Would I suggest burning that $1.5 to $2 million to purchase everything, hire everybody, and try and do it on your own? Or would I say, hey, spend that seven fifty dollars ish to eight and leave a little bit on the other end for yourself? That's the direction I'd go. For the full season... Again, if we're talking about paying for the full season compared to buying it all and running it all, you're still looking at about six to do it in a, in a mostly proper way. That number yet again continues to creep up. So yeah, somewhere in that range, Jeff. Let's go to our pal Ryan Terpstra. Serious question about the recent IMS test. Despite your meme suggesting we're only talking about practice, well, we aren't. We're talking about testing. Well, isn't testing the same thing as practicing um it's not qualifying it's not racing so uh any evidence to suggest chevy is going to be more competitive this may i hope but i am in a complete 
trust but verify mindset on this one. So we have the very first motors, and I think there's a question in here somewhere. Uh, I didn't cut and paste it over, but among the 2,500 plus words of questions we didn't get to, I think one of them referred to IndyCar driver Charlie Kimball on the Peacock broadcast mentioning that all the teams were on their first motors, their road course motors of the year. Was there any difference in what they produce and how they perform around Indy and so on and so forth? No, no, they're, they're not built differently to perform at one track compared to the other. But where this gets a little bit interesting and where it leaves us in a question mark for sure when we do get to may and when we do get to go racing and when things do get very serious in terms of speed we will indeed be seeing fresh motors that are been in the pipeline that have development items that weren't meant or ready to be unveiled at the first race second race and so on Though this year's starting, the season, I should say, is starting a little bit later than normal, hasn't changed the fact that the normal development process for Ilmore Engineering, Honda Performance Development, the motors that are in the cars right now, about to be used at Barber, are indeed first of the limited number allowed in the lease. As we have every year, we have both HPD and Ilmore, Chevy Racing, working on better ideas to put into the second motors in that lease once the first motors are worn out, per se, with mileage. You also have that exception that IndyCar does for the Indy 500 that says, hey, uh, yes, you can drop in something brand new and fresh, and there's kind of a no harm, no foul with that motor and that motor alone for the event. Um, but this is a case really and truly just understand that despite whatever we saw at the Indy open test, there will be fresher motors with fresher ideas brought forth by both manufacturers. And until we see those in action, it's going to be very hard to say is Chevy up is Honda up is one down. Will last year's dynamic be reversed or equalized truly do not know until we get going here see how things play out in qualifying and then obviously in the race so i wish i could say that chevy driver doing well at the open test was an indicator of anything we're going to see once real speeds and things that really count start happening in the latter part of may Go to Neil Joseph. He says, hey, Marshall, I don't know if you have uh, if you have asked it before. No, it's usually you guys who ask me. Um, says, he observes something interesting at the test. He says, why do teams fill up the car on the opposite side they would during a race? He says, also looks like they don't use the normal fuel gun. Great question, Neil. Comes in, you know, once or twice a year. No big deal. Again, we always have new folks listening in. So uh, no harm whatsoever here, my friend. So what you have on the left side of the car, as it would be prepared for Indianapolis, that would be the refueling Buckeye, the big fuel probe that gets plugged in. That's something that really is not allowed to be used during 
normal practice, normal testing. What you have is on the opposite side, you have in the same spot, uh, quick disconnect hoses that plug in and you have a metered fuel gun. And so difference between the two, I'm sure as you can understand, is the refueling probe, the Buckeye, the receptacle that receives the probe and that eight seconds of full fuel tank filling love and effort that gets switched from side to side, obviously based on the tracks that we go to. So when we go to road America, it'll get swapped to the other side at Barber this weekend. It'll be on driver's left. We go to St. Pete. It'll be on driver's right. We go to Texas. It'll be driver's left for what teams do, how they do things in a very measured and intentional way. We're talking this open test, for example. We're looking at wanting to go out, have driver X do a run, want that driver to have the necessary amount of fuel for that run, not necessarily anymore. So they'll say, hey, put in X amount, and they'll know that that is good for X number of laps. This is where using the metered fuel gun uh, to hit that number and report that back to the engineers, that's where we see this different use of fueling techniques. So the fuel probe, you're going to get a lot of fuel in not necessarily a tightly regulated amount uh, that you would say stop and know that you're nailing that number. Just a little bit of uh, extra intel here. So you will do the volume check of the reef, big refueling tank itself, and you'll notice that there's a sight glass, and teams will either look and see how much fuel went in, right, based on the reduction of fuel in that master fuel tank. Uh, there's a couple of other methods that get used. Uh, there's weight that can be measured as well. You'll also see how much fuel is left into the probe or left in the hose and probe that will get often released into a little dump can that then gets put back in. This is a case where when you're refueling live in a race, you are certainly wanting to know how much went in and you can get it down to a pretty darn good, pretty accurate number. We're talking about testing, talking about practice, talk about practice, uh, tend to get specific numbers that are being called for. And that's why you use the non-fuel probe side, the one with a little quick disconnects. And you indeed, just like you're filling up your own car at a gas station and maybe working the handle on the pump just to get that exact number, uh, whether usually it's a dollar amount you're trying to hit, but still, uh, in this case, it's a specific fuel volume that they're trying to hit and then stop. So that's why you see that it's the way more accurate way of putting in the exact amount of fuel asked for by the engineer. Also keep in mind if a team wants to go and do a 10 lap run, they'll put in enough fuel to cover the out lap and the in lap during that 10 lap run. Sometimes it'll be a true fuel run. Hey, we want to go out on full tanks or half tanks, whatever it might be just to gauge the uh, feel of the car, how the tires degrade, how the balance changes. So that's why you're always trying to keep track of the exact amount that you're putting in for these test and practice runs. Then you also have the reconciliation 
right? Hey, uh, we say that we put in X amount of fuel. What does the motor say? What does the data coming back from the engine say? Are there any discrepancies? Is there a correction factor we need to put in? Maybe it might be a tiny little amount, but something that you track like mad, Neil. You never, never want to let that number get away from you. Let's go to Hire Lee. says, after testing, what team or driver do you think is sandbagging the most? I'd say Power, Dixon, Carpenter, and Herta are. Thanks as always, and hope both of you are doing well. Thanks, Hire. So let's talk about sandbagging here. Uh, I, I am not saying that sandbagging does not happen, has never happened, etc. The days, though, of intentionally underperforming with the super limited, super, super, super limited amount of test days available, uh, I, I don't know how much of a intentional act that this remains to be these days. Why? Again, uh, if you only have so many days to test higher, I would need to understand the value in intentionally underperforming and then how that would help to perform at your peak when it comes time to deliver your all. Now, are there very specific situations where if you know you have an advantage and you do not want to reveal it, you might not indeed give every single thing away? Sure, that's just being smart. This isn't what we're talking about, though. This is teams that, by and large, have not been at IMS since last year's race. And with weather being a factor, having limited running on Thursday, did get in a pretty decent amount of running on Friday, but with weather factored in, if there was a team that was out there saying, hey, we're not going to try and do our best, and we're going to try and hide and keep something in reserve, I'd have to wonder when they did secret running at IMS to learn things to then know or want to hide them. So the sandbagging thing, I know it's kind of a fun undercurrent, like, oh, there's something sneaky. There's always something sneaky. Who's doing in this modern era where there's seemingly no testing? It's not really a thing that any reasonable team would do because you're only hurting yourself. So uh, I don't want to stop the fun. Uh, speculate on sandbagging all you want, but this is not a case that it really makes any sense these days anymore, I would say, higher. Uh, where do we go next? Robert C. Foss, MP in last week's extended Q&A after the guest show. You're given a clean sheet of paper and a beer to create the next generation IndyCar. You address the look, uh, balancing the weight, etc., but you forgot the single most important feature, the LED panels, and to make it authentic, they don't even need to work. Yeah, I got taken to task, as I should have been by you and a few others, Robert, for just totally missing the number one starting point. Most designers begin with the tub itself and then build outwards. Critical failure on my part here. 
or I needed to start with the LED panels and then construct the rest of the car around that. So, look, you guys know I'm not very good at what I do, right? This is just further evidence. All right, where do we go next as we continue our little bit of overtime? All right, down to, what, two to go? Uh, Matthew Featherman, three to go. Uh, you've been slacking a bit on questions as of late. I'll throw in another. I was going to talk to you about that, Matthew. Come on, man. I read an article this morning on a racing website asking if IndyCar could ever rival F1 again like it did in the kart days. Talked about Penske's ownership and stability. Formula E is now in the mix. IndyCar's lack of international races and a few other factors. Curious as to what your viewpoint is on the subject. I think it'd be very hard, Matthew. Formula One back in the late 80s, early 90s pretty darn amazing like really truly amazing a lot of heroes back then one thing that helped for sure uh 1992 world champion nigel mansell coming straight over after winning the formula one world championship racing in cart 93 it did elevate cart to a whole new international level he was here for two years Second year didn't go so well. Won the title in 93 as a, quote, rookie. Uh, Not so fortunate the following year. But it brought crazy amounts of international eyeballs at a time where there's some new young talent that was on the rise. It's a lot of good stuff in the stew, in the mix. And I would say that held. Uh, Held that interest. Not as much, maybe, as when Mansell was here full-time, but... Zanardi rolls in in 96, Greg Moore, Frank Keedy guy comes in later in the decade, Kanan, Elio, et cetera, et cetera. There was something that built and grew. I think about this every now and then, Matthew, the specific question, how could, is it possible to get back to the amazing days where CART was spoken of as a true rival to F1? Little sidebar here. I hope to write about it sometime. It's on my long list of things to do when I get bored, which never happens. But there was an actual plan by Formula One to try and establish an international oval racing series. And not because they like oval racing or knew anything about it, but because it was the one thing CART had to offer that was both spectacular and uh, a concern. Hey, they've got open wheel, we've got open wheel, They're more domestic, right? We're more international, but that oval racing they do, including the Indy 500, boy, that sure stands out as a product we can't offer. So we're concerned. And that concern, Matthew, was shown by their, though it didn't really go anywhere, announcing that they were hoping to do their own oval series. Just like, wow, that tells you you're making them sweat. But I think about this, and I do wonder, well, Lewis Hamilton's not going to come over when he retires. But if he were to come over, I think he's the only person that comes to mind that could bring the same kind of following. Vettel could come over. There'd certainly be more fans that show up and some additional TV. Seb's not necessarily in his prime as he once was that spotlight's not as big on him. Really, honestly, after Lewis, who's towards the tail end of his F1 career, there's no one I can think of, Matthew, 
who would be on a realistic timeline to come over anytime soon. Obviously, if Max Verstappen chose to, a whole different thing. But I hate to say it, but if we're ever going to rival F1, uh, there's going to have to be an international component that comes in that we do not have to bring IndyCar and break it out of its uh, regional appeal. All right, two to go here. Jeremiah Morell says there was a brilliant picture from the Indianapolis test, the nine returning Indy 500 winners with the Borg Warner Trophy, every one of them in equipment that could win. Says 1992 keeps coming to mind when there were 10 returning winners in the careers, and when the careers were complete, total of 13 of the starters got their face on that trophy. So I'm not sure that we realize the absolute golden era that we're currently witnessing possible that we will look back on 2021 starting grid and say the best ever assembled great careers ahead for award herda rosenquist many others plus contenders like newgarden carpenter ray hall and andretti are still in the mix yeah <laughs> could we yes jeremiah absolutely it probably depends on age though because if you go to Indianapolis or listen to or read a lot of the things being said or written by those who are a little bit older, been around during not only that 92 Indy 500, but those before, uh, we're still at a time where the legends of old are held in such amazing, amazing regard, as they should. The A.J. Foyts, the Mario Andretti's, the Emerson Fittipaldi's, so on and so forth. Rick Mears, as they should be. I think it's just going to take time for this generation to move on. And so folks like you and who knows, me and, and whomever else in X amount of years, a little bit of time and context to look back and say, hey, <laughs> wow, this was incredible. And geez, these guys were amazing. Men and women doing amazing things at the Indy 500. Look at all the winners. Look at everything they went on to. Just going to take a little bit of time. Uh, what's the argument you hear, of course, now? Oh, you know, name any one of the drivers in the Indy 500. Uh, most of them can walk down any street uh, outside of Indiana and not get recognized. I would say possibly one-third to half could walk down a street in Speedway, Indiana and probably go, if not unrecognized, causing the person walking by to go, okay, I know that. Look, I think that's a driver. Is that who? It? So we get that thing. Hey, even Scott Dixon, right, the most successful guy of this era, relatively anonymous so you get a little bit of that questioning jeremiah of the star power factor you know, why aren't these drivers today being looked at and hailed as all kinds of great and amazing things you know there's a little bit of that star factor but that's the thing that you hope gets codified um with a little bit of time all right let's go to our last question here <laughs> and our pal ryan terps just back he says so on speed alone, who has a better chance of qualifying for the Indy 500? Cody Ware or Top Gun Racing? Oh, we're, we're just poking the uh, hornet's nest again, aren't we, Terpstra? 
I would not foresee Cody Ware having a significant issue qualifying for the 500 unless there's 36, 37 cars. I would foresee, assuming they go forward, assuming he drives the car, and the team gives him a lot of miles during uh, Indy 500 practice, since he didn't seem to get a lot of it during the Indy Open test, assuming he gets a lot of miles, a lot of comfort, a lot of everything, I don't foresee it being too big of a deal. A little bit of an odd thing, Ryan. So I caught a little bit of whatever the NASCAR race was. Was it last weekend, the weekend before? Wherever it was. And... I would say easy is not the word, but I would say it is easier to be close in an Indy car than it might be in a cup car in terms of not just making the show, but being somewhat competitive. <clears throat> There's a real on off switch of, uh, as one of my high school teachers used to say, is you is, or is you ain't you're either on the pace at the Indy 500, going around the speedway, practice, qualifying the race, whatever. You're either there or you aren't. There's really not much middle ground. Not saying it's easy in cup by any means, but there seems to be a greater percentage of teams, cars, drivers who are in the race week to week really aren't particularly competitive, no hope, and dragging an anchor. You don't get that at Indy. You either are there and the car, which is very capable, is doing things that is within just a knife edge difference of the rest of the cars because they're so close, or you aren't. It's either because the setup is way off, driver can't drive it, or driver lacks talent, aptitude, uh, comfort, whatever it is, just say that when I think of Cody, obviously he doesn't have a ton of miles doing this open wheel thing, but if he can run 218, whatever the number was, I'm confident that number could increase provided he has the comfort and the skill. I think he does. I don't know. Talking about IndyCar, I don't know, nor does anyone else, but the fact that he wasn't doing 210, 212. That's the telling part to me here. The fact that he was close, not that close, but close enough to say, okay, you're in the ballpark. That gives me comfort. So I think he would have a better chance. The topic of Top Gun racing, I have no answer for you. And I'd love to, but to my knowledge, we do not have confirmation yet that they have an engine. Hope to learn that they do. That'd be awesome and amazing. But here's where the concern comes in for Top Gun. And it's pretty straightforward. And it reminds me, the opportunity reminds me of 2019 with the uh, Clawson Marshall program. Pippa Man in that car. Chevy is the uh, power unit. We were all expected. We all expected 
that entry to not qualify for the race. They absolutely did. And then Pippa had her best ever run at the Indy 500. And so defied all expectations. Team had a, got the car from AJ Foyt Racing. I won't pretend to know if and how much setup info did or didn't come along, but could be totally wrong. But I never got the feeling that they were a thousand percent on an island by themselves. Can't ask anyone. No one will talk to us. No one likes us. We're just out here on an island. From what Top Gun Racing has said, they are proudly and defiantly wanting to be on an island. We don't want help from anybody. We don't want an alliance with anybody. We're going to do it all ourselves. If I'm Chevrolet, knowing that Honda has said they aren't the they aren't in the running to provide an engine for them. If I'm Chevrolet, I guess I would just have to ask and wonder, is this worth it? The amount of money, I think it's like a quarter million, something along those lines for the uh, month of May lease. Actually, I think I'm wrong on that. But anyways, it's not a huge amount of, it's not, it's a, not a small amount of money for any team, but for a manufacturer, you know, it's not much. It's not a, wow, there's so much money in it. We'd be a fool to not accept every request for an engine lease. Just mentioning all this because if I look at the Clausen Marshall thing, I go, whoa, that was an outlier. Didn't think it was going to be successful. It definitely was. Chevy was shining, I would say, uh, in that relationship and what it achieved. Going in here with a team that has zero miles, zero experience, zero everything, wasn't there for the Indy Open test, and has said in print for everyone to read, they have no interest in aligning with anyone else who want to do it all by herself. If I'm either engine manufacturer, I'm saying, huh, we're pretty much full up. Is this something that has value to us financially or promotionally? That's my only concern here. So could Chevy say, yes, you got a motor. Top Gun Racing, and could Top Gun show up and defy all expectations? Starting with, again, no, none of the testing miles that all the other teams got. Um, they could. We always love a, a good underdog story. I just wonder if Chevy is willing to sign up for that. And if not, do we have Top Gun qualifying for the race? I don't know. Um, it's a hard decision, and I can just tell you here to close, Ryan, the thing that I hear more from engine manufacturers these days in regards to the Indy 500, how deep of a pool of coverage are we going to provide, how many entries, how many technicians, and so on. Most are not willing, and there's only two, but most of what I've heard, they're not willing to stretch themselves to crazy ends unless there's a real, real strong reason to do so. Hey, Top Gun Racing's going to partner with Tony Stewart or pick some Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be a co-entrant. Got it. Done deal. <laughs> Motor will be there in an hour. 
Hey, Honda, got some deal with us. Fernando Alonso, although they're not great friends. Uh, Fernando Alonso wants to become a co-entrant. Would you be interested? Who knows? Name Mario Andretti's decided he's going to become co-entrant on a, something totally different from his son. You're going to get Honda and Chevy, if they get asked, pretty darn interested. Beyond something like that, when we're talking about the 35th, 36th entry for the Indy 500 uh, you're going to get a pretty squinty furled brow type look from any manufacturer asking is it worth it is it actually worth it so uh, look forward to learning if Chevrolet has decided it is worth it alright time to say farewell got an IndyCar race this weekend hope you enjoy it look forward to speaking about it next week Thanks, as always, to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and you, my lovely little friends and family of Open Wheel. <laughs>